Hello, this is Daniel Vale with Behind the Story. Before I do my first segment, I want to um, plug a few social media accounts that I have. I don't know how to do a Facebook account for just um, my podcast page, but that's what I'm going to try right here. However, um, I do have a Facebook account for my name, Daniel Vale, and it does have a, um, does have a podcast page, but it's not a podcast page that I use on Facebook, so try to see if I can create a new um, account. And um, what I will say is that um, what I was going to say is that um, I have a Twitter account and an Instagram account, and because I'm on Instagram, I record and upload on Instagram TV my video where I um, plug my latest episodes from a podcast. So, if you're on Instagram TV, please... Uh, please look up behind the story with the and the picture that comes up should be a picture of bright lights and underneath it is behind the story and um, saying the same picture is used on um, my Twitter account and um, and my Twitter account that I use as myself is at Journalist Hope. That's um, capital J J O U R N A L I S T and lowercase H O P E. Um, if you want to know. Uh, my, if you want to see my regular um, Facebook page, then go go on Facebook. If you are already a member of Facebook, go on Facebook and look up Daniel Vale, and they have three or four accounts. Which I'm sorry about that, but some some of them are. Uh, I forgot the passwords and some of them are because of the pictures I have in there it's very hard for me to delete it because of that so the one I would suggest to look up is to add a friend is my picture with my brother sitting down and I'm sitting on the next side of him
crap. Sorry. So, what I was going to do is, what I'm going to say now is, I don't know, um, what to say outside of just, um, as a podcast host, I have some people I would like to interview, but I also know that anybody that listens to my podcast has people they would like to uh, to hear a story of or hear a story from or hear an interview of and if there's anybody that y'all would like for me to interview just send me a direct message on my Twitter page of Behind the Story, and just tell me if there's anybody uh, that you've seen on Ring of Honor that or Impact Wrestling that you'd like to hear an interview from, and I'll send them a direct message and see if I can see if they'd like to be interviewed. Mama wants to know you were arena. Arena. I just said that the white thing you just saw. You want another one? Oh. Uh. Hold on. I can show you. Okay, so. I can't believe this. I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. If I can, uh. If I can get a response from them and come to an agreement to interview them, then I'll let y'all know that, um. That they agreed to do an interview, and the only reason I am saying this in the beginning of my podcast is because I want I want to um, have as many listeners as I can, and I thought if I um, I thought if I mentioned um, Having guests that y'all would like to have an interview from, maybe y'all would, um, maybe y'all would like to get involved in this, um, in this project with me. I mean, I know that we ask, um, I know that it's normal to ask fans to ask us questions, but if, but because I don't have a format like so many other podcasts do, and all I can really do at the moment is just ask y'all if um, there's anybody you would like to hear an interview from, and hopefully they'll they'll charge cheap enough to where I can uh, to where I can interview them. I didn't read that some at least one fan would like to would have liked to hear from uh, doing the favor. About their um, Mount Rushmore of wrestlers and who their list of favorite and non-favorite wrestlers are. So I'm gonna do a Mount Rushmore of my own, and I have it right written right here.
Um, I know that with um, what's going on today with the Mount, the literal Mount Rushmore, that a lot of people think of um, Mount Rushmore as controversial. But when you look at it, that's to honor the presidents, the the founding fathers of the or the forefathers of this country, the four presidents. So, so that's why that's why Mount Rushmore suggest uh, topic is so popular. So, if Y'all could forget about the controversy of that and just think about what it means when you're looking at things like wrestling and sports. I I think that it would make a big difference. So, who would I start off with and why? Gordon Soley would be in the centerpiece. Um he is called the, he was always referred to as the Dean of Commentators. So how could you not list him in there? He had other guys like, for instance, Mid-Atlantic, um, had Bob Huddle. Um, I really don't know the, the guy outside of Jim Ross that, um, that was the lead guy that was the lead commentator for Mid-South. But um Jim Ross is um Jim Ross started in Mid-South as a referee and when you read his book he also did a lot of things in the office before he was considered an office guy like he was always um, the right-hand man to uh, to Bill Watts as far as when he needed an emergency. When he needed an emergency, um, Jim Ross knew right away how to get in touch with Bill Watts and. Bill knew he could handle it. That's why he put him... That's why he uh, put him with... For instance, one story I can use from his book. I don't know the head guy's name who would do the commentary in Mid-South Wrestling, but he was legally blind. I think his name might have been Boyd Pierce. He did not want any... um, Rustler dating his daughter. So when he found out Ted DiBiase was, he wanted to kill him, literally. So, in the book of Slavernocker, Jim Ross shared that he had to call Collect and give them the name of uh, Gene Kaniski as a code name for trouble. That way he could know how to handle it. And then, from that, and he was commentating by the time Mid-South closed, he was commentating 
their show called Power Hour. And he would bring us clips from the show throughout the week. Like, he showed us a clip of rowers coming into territory. Or he showed us a clip of Blade Runners when they started. And when he was in the WW, first he was in WCW. And a lot of times he would comment. He went from Mid-South, a lot of people may not know this, to being in the second, being a commentator in, in the Crockett Company for the second show of the week. Who I actually don't know who his, uh, who his broadcast partner was. Then, from that he went, when it was renamed WCW, because of his experience in the business, he used to be a su- uh, the supervisor to Eric Bischoff. Then he went from doing that to um, to being a commentator for Vince McMahon. And if anybody from the time to- from the time Jim Ross took over the announced position for Raw. Um, and then the rest of the Attitude Era and then the um, Ruthless Aggression Era and his he and Jerry Lawler's two month felt like two month um, feud with Jonathan the Coach Coachman and Al Snow and everything in between you cannot tell me that Jim Ross does not belong in Mount Rushmore. I believe he he goes on the right side of his hero, childhood hero, Gordon Soley. Tony Schiavone. And all the people would say he did not belong. He does not belong in this list because he didn't last as long as the other two. But when you... But when you read about him, when he, when he started as a, well, just like Jim Ross, by the way, when he started as a comment, as a interviewer like Mean Gene, then he, then he uh, went from being an interviewer to a, to a commentator, and he paid his dues like the wrestlers did by setting up the ring and taking it down all the time just to break in as an interviewer. And one thing about Tony Schiavone was um, he could take and I'll just say ridiculous. He could take the most ridiculous storyline and make it comical. Like, um, and he had help with Bobby Heenan too, but most of the time, he was able to do it on his own. Like, per- two perfect examples of how funny he could be. Around June of 1995, the Blue Bloods first burst onto the scene as a tag team, which later on became a three-man group, I believe. 
because they would play the same music for Re- Lawrence Stephen Regal as they did his two cohorts in the Blue Bloods. And they, after fully adopting the, uh, I believe what we call being British is, um, like we say, the Blue Bloods. After adopting their attitude and how they carry themselves, after getting that over and drawing attention to themselves in the, I believe it was Slambury pregame show, they did a, I think this is what we call a double scoop slam from a, or a body slam by Regal and Eaton, they inserted themselves into the tag team scene and uh, in the, they got a title shot for the Grand American Bash. And at the Great American Bash, in the middle of the tag team title match, shows how much of a, a of a risk it took putting them in that in there as challengers, because nobody, including Tony Schiavone, even a even a commentator like Tony Schiavone didn't even know the backstory on Regal and Eaton. He said, tell me the story of Lord Stephen Regal and Bobby Eaton. And I'm not exaggerating or lying, you know, for people who may not have seen this pay-per-view or this match. Tony said, tell me the story of them. And Bobby Bobby Heenan said, he searched, Lord Stephen Regal searched Bobby Eaton's ancestry, and it turns out he has a huge, a huge, comes from a huge line of, uh, or a long line of aristocrats. And Tony, the, Tony responded with this quote, in Alabama? <laughs> because, as my brother would say, Alabama people, most of the people he knew personally when he lived in Alabama were, um, this is a hard word for me to pronounce. So I'm going to try my best. Rule, rule. And uncouthed. So when you hear something like that and somebody's from Alabama, it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Which is about how Tony was sounding right there. And he would always use, um, and he still has this ability today, which is amazing. In the beginning of one of his podcast episodes, he did like he was in the old WCW Saturday Night Show and he said, attend to the ring with Conrad Thompson. And, uh, that, um, is, and along with all the, just his, you can tell by the way he would talk that he has a background in, um, legitimate play-by-play. And you can tell he has a, actually he does have a background in, when you go to college and you study, uh, you major in play-by-play, I think, or whatever they call that. Which is actually why former Impact Wrestling commentator Don West. That's how he was able to learn because he has a degree in broadcast journalism. That's what it is. 
Tony Schiavone had a, has a degree in broadcast journalism himself. So he has an understanding of not just broadcasting, but he has an understanding uh, because of being a big fan of wrestling for so long. He also has an understanding of how to make the fans believe what's going on. And it's a very comical, is the best word for it, and even though it's not meant to be comical, when you watch as a fan, you want to be entertained by not just what's going on in the ring. You want to be entertained by who's talking in the, who's calling the matches, and that was something we always got with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. So I would put him at next to Tony, next to Jim Ross. And I really, I don't think you can deny that either. I really think he stands, or I think he stands in a class by himself. Then, of course, Mike Tenay brings a level of, um, he is what we call an historian, and he actually stands on the board, stands on a board of wrestling historians, and I think he started, he helped create Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. So he, so just based on his um, knowledge of things that most people don't even know about, I think he should go in there as the last guy of, common, of the Mount Rushmore broadcasters wrestling commentators because okay, you have journalists like Josh Matthews, Mean Gene Okerlin, it was called the Dean of, of Journalists and you have Dave Meltzer and all these other guys and you even have um, I actually forgot his name but just so respected that he was allowed to go on TV once to interview Ric Flair for his magazine. I think he does a PWI. Um, I don't remember what his name is at the moment, but there's a lot of journalists, but what I liked about Mike Tenay was him sharing the history of what they were talking about. So I think he belongs to be in this list just based off of that. And I just liked how um liked how he used that, used his knowledge of the history of the business to add on to the story. And you don't see that a lot anymore. So yeah, I think he deserves on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling commentators. He also would he would also belong the Mount Rushmore of um, of journalists in wrestling also. But that would be another um, that would be another discussion. I want to talk about timeline and here's the uh, sound effects.
that's enough. Okay. go back on the WWE Network apps to see all the pay-per-views happened in 97 before I even talk about the uh, the old shows May 19th, first, uh, first date I look at on, on Nitro, night after Sambury, Nineteen ninety seven. Steven Regal and the new TV champion defeated Prince IK to keep the world TV title. Masahiro Chono defeated Squire David Taylor. Scotty Riggs defeated Michael Wall Street. Steiner Brothers defeated Jeff Jarrett and Steve McMichael. And Ric Flair defeated Six by disqualification. <clears throat> the final actually I can't talk about the final thing but uh if I'm not mistaken I believe the final thing was um Bischoff calling out Sting and Sting coming from underneath the ring and Getting him with the uh, backwards DDT called the Scorpion Death Drop. And uh, that's how the show ended. Next next week, Hector Guerrero, Juntu Guerrero, and Super Calo defeated Ziclope, Damien, and Laparca to start off the show. Psychosis defeated Alex Wright. Wrath defeated Mark Starr. Conan defeated Milano 4. Masahiro Chono versus the Great Muda ended in a no contest when the Great Muda. Uh, I think he spit his green mist or sun mist in the face of Sonny Ono. And they revealed that he's a member of the NWO. The Barbarian defeated Jim Powers. After the match, they announced he and Chris Benoit would have a match next week on, on Nitro. Then, 
The Giant defeated Jerry Flynn, Johnny Swinger, and Rick Fuller. I think after that, they said, um, the Giant and Lex Luger, that he and the Giant wanted to face Hogan and, uh, Dennis Rodman, because Dennis Rodman and Hollywood Hogan have an open contract to face anybody. And Harlem Heat defeated Jeff Jarrett and Steve McMichael. Then June 2nd, 1997, I think in the first show, I the first show they said that they had reinstated Nick Patrick on a probationary first month to be a probationary um, basis see how he would act as referee so that was interesting that's interesting to look back at too about two or three months before this, or the first time Savage went against DDP, uh, sent him out there to cheat for the NWO, and he made a fair count instead. So he gets axed from the NWO, and now makes sure he doesn't do anything funny as a regular referee again. Put him on probationary uh, basis. Then both back. Glacier defeated Alex Wright to start the show, but Bagwell defeated Joe Gomez. Antiochia defeated Hugh Morris. Mess Hero Chono and the Great Muda defeated the Steiner Brothers. Dean Malenko defeated Michael Wall Street to keep the U.S. title. Cyclope and Damien defeated Harlem Heat. Chris Benoit defeated the Barbarian. Ric Flair defeated Scott Hall via disqualification. What's interesting was, um, Scott Hall said he would not face Ric Flair, and he had both titles in his hands, so he had his tag title around his waist, and he, I think he was wearing his title and holding Kevin Ash's title. So, J.J. Dillon said, if you don't face Ric Flair tonight, you can leave those titles on my table. So, Scott Hall agreed to the match. And, uh, believe that J.J. Dillon also said that they, that he and the championship committee, or the championship committee themselves believe that number one contenders for the tag team titles after Great American Bash should be the Steiner Brothers. So, Harlem Heat cost Steiner Brothers their match, then Steiner Brothers cost Harlem Heat their match. Chris Benoit defeated the Barbarian. And, okay, let's have the rest. June 9th, 1997. Hmm. Six-man tag team match. Flew into Guerrero this time, teaming with Super Calo and Ultimo Dragon. Defeated the Parker Psychosis and Silver King. Alex Wright defeated Chris Jericho. World Women's Champion 
Akira Okudo defended the title successfully against Malia Hosaka. And I believe in the episode before that, uh, Medusa agreed to put up her career against Akira's title. And the uh, next pay per view. And Okoda and Asi McMichael match never got underway because middle of Steve McMichael and, Steve and Kevin Green fighting at the entrance ramp, somebody hit Conan with a with a broom, and nobody saw who it was. So they just said it was a no contest. And Lex Luger defeated Hollywood Hogan in, in a non-title match. In a U.S. title match, after Eddie Guerrero hit the frog slash on Malenko, on Dean Malenko by the referee's back, Jeff Jarrett pinned Dean Malenko to capture the U.S. title. First time, first time I believe. Then, McClure and Audie Piper are going to face the Outsiders for the titles at the Grand American Bash, but they decided to um, challenge them before the Grand American Bash. So, so, they, so they went against them, ended in disqualification, and after, they got, after the Outsiders got disqualified, Everybody's got a match. The Grand American Bash came out and fought with each other. Big time. It was chaos and pandemonium, but that's. But it also made for great um, suspense for the pay per view. So, if there's anything else I would talk about, I would talk about. The list of my favorite wrestlers. Um, number one would be Ric Flair. I know he was always a heel, the dirtiest player in the game, but for me, it was just fun to watch. Um, in fact, there's two guys really fun to watch would be Ric Flair and Scott Hall and Ray Piper, but all three of them. Not just fun to watch, but they all three have a different. It's different for all three of them, and I'll point it out. Wright Piper was not known for being a master of technical wrestling, but he was the master of drawing heat from the audience. And when he was a babyface, he could draw the same type of like from the crowd. So that's. So that's what was great about Piper. That's why I think he's the greatest hill ever. Because whether he was a hill or a baby face, he had the same um he had the same um quality about him. He was able to show the um he loved getting people mad, but when he was a baby face he was able to show the side of him that people didn't even know existed and that's very hard to do when you are that hated as a villain so that's one of the reasons I liked him Ric Flair, great I always thought he was a great wrestler and even though he couldn't think of uh, defensive moves like Sebastian Arn Anderson or Greg Valentine, Sting guys like that that he actually that doesn't really, what he could do, didn't really show 
is an ability because a lot of great wrestlers that can defend themselves break rules. So that's why that's why I that's why I always liked Ric Flair was somehow he overshadowed his lack of ability with what he could do. Matter of fact, I never noticed that he lacked the ability to defend himself because since I knew it wasn't real, I didn't think that he lacked anything. Then I found out what it meant to be what um, critics call fake. I just prefer to say predetermined. Not to be politically correct, but to be honest. Um, when I found out how it was fake, I realized even more so how it really didn't make a difference on one hand. On the hand, on the other hand, if you're watching it and you like the people that don't have to break rules, it makes a big difference. But I think, in an all-around standpoint, I think he was one. I still think he may be the greatest. As far as drawing people into the crowd, it, into the arena, and getting them to come back for another one of his matches, I think he's one of the best. And what I really liked about him was his, um, his charisma, and even though people call it an epileptic fit, no offense to um, people who have epilepsy. But that's what people tend to call it. But that's actually what made him so much fun to watch for myself. Because he was hilarious when he got like that. Um, Scott Hall. What makes Scott Hall great is um, whether he was babyface or whether he was a heel. Which you really, if you had seen him as Razor Ramon, you'd know what I mean. He was so cool that you couldn't help but laugh. You know, but like him, and it was so silly when he would lie about what they accomplished when they didn't accomplish anything. That was even funnier because it, cause it was one of those moments of, you gotta be kidding me. Everybody who watched that in person on pay-per-view knows, knows you're lying. Why are you lying? <laughs> but we know that it's to make... We know that it's because they're a bad guy, so... They lie... They lie be, to get people upset at them. So... Even though not a lot of people know how to draw heat, I think Scott Hall did. Because he was pretty good at it. <laughs> and also... He went from somebody who did not know what the heck he was doing to being one of the most creative wrestlers by that. Um, I mean that he could think of things to do in the ring. And so talented in that way that he actually belongs on the creative team, any creative team in, rus in wrestling would be fortunate to have him on board. And, 
what I really like about the real person is that he it he was not bothered by being a mid card draw. In fact, he looked at it as being equally as important as being the top draw because every title should be as important as the next. So when you and when you see Bret Hart's retirement video, not retirement, but his Hall of Fame video, that's what Jim Ross said. He said that having going from the tag team scene to the mid court scene to the main event scene. And holding all three titles at one time or another before he was out of the company and actually won the heavyweight title three or four times, I believe. Maybe a little bit more than that, I'm not sure. But even to do that meant he was the man. And if you look at it in that way, then Scott Hall's right. So that's what I like about him. He's humble enough to take the mid card because he doesn't thinks people make too much of a big deal about the, the top spot. I think that's very humble of him. And, um... Is there anybody else I can list? Or should I go... No. You guys should go for the... You guys should do three and three. Three like, three dislike. Well... Unlike Stone Cold Steve Austin's character, because it's unnecessary to mock the Bible. To mock anything of religion is unnecessary. And if you wouldn't do it for... If you wouldn't mock a uh, Muslim, or if you wouldn't mock a uh, Buddhist, or a um, Hindu... Why mock the Bible? Because it's a religion just like... For people who may not believe in God or Jesus Christ... Um, why... Why would you mock any religion, period, when... You wouldn't mock any religion for Hinduism or... Uh, we wouldn't mock anything that a Hindu person believes, or a Muslim, or a, or a Buddhist. So, why mock, why mock um, Christianity in any way? So that's why I didn't like him. Um, Val Venus. I'm gonna keep this as clean as I can. Val Venus took what Ric Flair did for did in his character, and he just he just made somehow he made it worse than with Ric Flair. Like Ric Flair would talk about women, and he would even have he even occasionally had some women come out with him, but he never went as far as Val Venus did, or Rick Rude for that matter. So. The first two people I would list as dislike would be Val Venus and Rick Root. Val Venus used to wear a towel in um, and he would talk about the women and he would basically was a a, a pimp. And that was 
that was before The Godfather came out with women. So, I would say that it's a tie between Val Venus and The Godfather because they both have the same character, or at least the same point in the character. And, um, for the same reason, it's like them for the same reason, because they left nothing to the imagination. Sometimes it's better to leave things or be subtle than it is to, to leave any windows out. So, don't go see Boston, Val Venus, The Godfather, three guys I don't like, and it's because it, it exudes what I hate about the Attitude Era. Attitude Era had a lot of had a lot of excitement as far as not knowing what to expect, but when you can't watch a show, watch a wrestling show without without work, when you have to um those days they didn't have the internet but if they had the internet I would have had to if I was an adult during those times I would have to know what was being uh, planned ahead of time just to know what um what was going on on Raw and I don't like that I like being able to watch without feeling like something bad's gonna happen or something uh, unnecessary so that's why I prefer PG over Attitude Era. So there you have it. My two lists: one with uh, one is Mount Rushmore, the other one is the uh, list of likes and dislikes, list of favorites and less favorite wrestlers. Thank you and goodbye.